Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast, where we dive deep, deep, deep into five topics from social media this week and share our takeaways with all of you so you can hear about it and understand what to do with it and maybe take it back to your organization and do something dope. All right. With me, as always, we have Beth. Hi, Beth. Hello. And we have Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Beth. And making a few auditory pops in this beautiful, beautiful podcast that we are recording, our producer, Joey. Hey, Joey. Hello. Oh, my God. There are four of us. Um, All right. Well, we shall not delay. There's a lot to talk about. First and foremost, Reddit occupied Wall Street. Hopefully you got your money in. Instagram is testing removing sharing posts to stories. Boo. Twitter launched Birdwatch. Twitter and NBC are deepening their partnership. And then finally, YouTube tested new clipping features. All right, everyone. Our first thing. Reddit occupying Wall Street. It has been all of the rage. It has shooketh our financial system to its core. Uh, It's got serious, serious Alexander Hamilton vibes, um, really changing the way that we think about our financial institutions. Uh, So the basics. There is a subreddit called, uh, I want to make sure that I've got it down correctly. Uh, It is called Wall Street Bets. Now, I'm, I, I know plenty about it because I've actually been on to this subreddit, um, and it's quite fascinating. Um, at the time of this recording, Mark Cuban actually did an AMA in the subreddit uh, this week, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but what they did, this is a group of individuals, retail investors, individual investors, using the Robinhood app, going on and selecting individual equities um, that were uh, part of short sales by big hedge funds and big uh, big investors, um, and they decided to exploit that behavior that makes hedge funds lots lots and lots of money to drive up the the price of an individual equity, uh, and in turn make a lot of money as retail investors, but drive down um, the 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 profit for those hedge funds. So. Um, I'm sure somewhere in there is not a technical financial person. I got it wrong. But where it got really crazy was they were selecting into individual equities and people were buying it in bulk and making massive, massive returns. So everything from GameStop, which was, you know, on the foot of bankruptcy, AMC movie theaters, which because of COVID um, was their stock price was really, really low. Um, you know, other brands like Blockbuster and BlackBerry and Nokia uh, and other brands that are sort of uh, of yesteryear of the early aughts and late 90s um, were now being resurrected and put back into the cultural and financial zeitgeist due to uh, what was going on this um, Reddit thread. And then when it got deeper and deeper, what you were learning was the people who were starting these these um, squeezes, if you will, these short squeezes. Um, were people who knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, and they understood uh, the role that Wall Street was playing um, in the short sales and, and what that meant. And it was a way to show that um, wealth shouldn't just go to the wealthy, it can go to anyone. And that really was the uh, Robin Hood stealing from the rich and giving it to the poor, which was uh, what the app was intended to do. 
Now, there have been uh, a ton of controversy since then. Uh, retail investors not reading terms and conditions and understanding that Robinhood is backed by, uh, you know, other investors. And there are certain times with their clearinghouse rules that they need to be able uh, to halt or diminish the trading of something in order to be sure they can cover um, everything that's happening on their platform. So not for the faint of heart. Um, and you hear a lot of really good stories of individual investors making, you know, X hundred percent of uh, their return on buying these stocks. But you are also hearing stories of people who thought they hit it big and the stock crashes down to the ground and they've, they've since uh, lost some of those gains. So uh, I know that was a lot and I'm sure factually I got a couple of things wrong there, but the power of social media to drive, uh, you know, I think ultimately what you're seeing um, this, and this is right out of a Shakespeare soliloquy here. So forgive me, friends, um, whether it's the Arab Spring or Black Lives Matter or the election of Joe Biden or Wall Street bets, social media has the ability to bring people together around something and drive fundamental change in society, plain and simple. It is the power of these channels. Um, and what all of those things represent are uh, wholesale marketing programs, whether it's marketing a cause or marketing a brand or marketing a group, uh, but they are leveraging the power of connectivity and connected communities to drive change in the vertical or in the space that they occupy. Uh, so really, really fascinating. Um, and I will open it up to my friends here to see if they have any thoughts that they wanna add to this. I think yeah, that was a great explanation. It wasn't too complex. And I was going to say, I think you nailed it, but I'm no expert either. Um, yeah, this has been really fascinating to watch. And I think it's also coming after we've been talking about Reddit and the behavior on the platform as being this very much community building, relationship driving place. That's why people use the platform. And this is kind of a culmination of that. It reminds me, you know, as you were listing all of those things and ways that communities have come together, even something as simple as when we were covering like all of the, the K-pop craze last year, you know, beating all the records that they did, things like that. It's whether it's a, a band or something like, you know, a, a Wall Street opportunity, you, you just can't, you know, you, you can't doubt the ability of these communities to come together and just create insane, incredible change. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing about, I think this is also a story of the power of Reddit. Um, I think Twitter and other platforms tend to get the the kind of cultural narrative around coming together and activating on those platforms. And I would never mess with a Reddit audience. Like there are very strong communities there that that have a different relationship with the subreddits that they're part of. Um, that I mean, when put into true action we see can take on Wall Street. So I think there's a lesson there for Reddit, for also our brands. Like, it's a good place to be. The reality is, too, it's like there are conversations on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram about, you know, stocks and Wall Street. And these conversations are happening in other places. But Reddit is where, you know, obviously the groundswell happened for that reason. So it's all very serendipitous. The What you are seeing, Beth, to that point and Amanda to that, plus one is this plus two, which is authentic community engagement. 
and understanding the the purpose and ethos of a community is the best way possible to 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 create a groundswell of conversation. So whether there's a subreddit around spicy food and Frank's Red Hot were to tap into that, or it was a subreddit around electric vehicles and Volvo was to tap into that, you know, there is a way to take your brand's purpose and the community purpose and create the Venn diagram that finds a sweet spot on Reddit to engage with those communities in a way that actually drives real cultural change. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, it kind of reminds me too of um, the conversation we had with Katy Perry at the end of at the end of last year, where she talked about um, you know these communities coming together um, around around you know financial literacy and financial tech, and and it's just you know on the public app in particular, it's really fun to sort of watch watch these things go up and down, and they always give you the the high risk for uh, warning for some of these um, for some of these stocks, which is also it's kind of interesting to keep an eye on whether or not you you've bought in or or not. So, I could talk about this for the whole time of this podcast. We could sit here and just talk about what happened and GameStop and and, and AMC and, and and honestly, like this is not financial advice, but like movie theaters are going to come back. So, like, <laughs> it, it's not the worst thing in the world to have some you know massive investment in AMC. Uh, GameStop's probably done, so you know that one's not as good. <laughs> Um, so we're, we're going to move on from this and, and if we get a lot of listener email that they want to hear more about this, maybe we'll do a little special ad hoc version of the five things. Um, but I think we're going to move on now and talk about, uh, Instagram testing the removal of the function that allows for you to share a post into your story. Before you do this, Amanda, I just have to say not a fan of this not 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 a fan of this but i will let you explain what it is and then we can talk about it so i that's not surprising because this was announced kind of um this was actually launched in a beta with some users on instagram where they were basically notified that instagram's going to start testing um ha having certain users not be able to share feed posts to their stories so that was rolled out on a very beta level but the response in the last, I don't know, couple of days since this has started rolling out has been overwhelmingly very negative. And a lot of people are very upset. Even obviously people that weren't involved in the beta test are hearing about it through, you know, screenshots and conversation on the platform. So there's two sides to this, you know, in Instagram's perspective, it can be annoying to be served the same post in your feed and then see it in your stories. You're seeing the same content twice. And they're trying to, I'm sure, find some variance in the way that users are consuming content. Theoretically, could make sense. But the reality is a lot of people don't spend, you know, the hours that they used to on Instagram. Maybe you just scroll through your stories and try to catch up on things that your friends are sharing or what's most important. A lot of people use stories to share small businesses or content creators that don't have a huge platform. A lot of people use their stories to almost archive the content that they're digesting that they want to look back on because there's it's a little bit easier to access that although instagram does have the saved feature so all to say even before this podcast i was on instagram and i got served this news and it was a i looked at the comment section and i didn't see a single person defending it or saying you know there's a benefit of the doubt here it's a feature that I'm sure, you know, has to do with the algorithm and the way that content is served on the platform, but it's not 
at all well received and i i don't think that it will continue to be rolled out i am i do no feed scrolling whatsoever i hate my instagram feed i don't look at it i exclusively open up instagram to go through stories and and maybe maybe i will like the first post i see when i log on because it's right in front of me and it's habit but like I love when people share posts into stories. A, it helps me discover new followers. B, it helps me discover new influencers. Like it makes, it helps me discover new brands. It, it might, you know, introduce me to a new news story or open up a new band to my ears or open up a new artist to my eyes. Like it, it is, it is absolutely asinine to be doing this. And yeah. yeah. Think about, think about what was going on this past summer, right? We were all indoors. Nobody was really having any experiences outside of their house unless they were at um, protests. And how much information was being shared about Black Lives Matter via posts that were then re-shared on people's stories. I think almost everything I posted on my, um, on my stories this summer was a repost of somebody else because it seemed because it was relevant information that I wanted to share with my, with people who follow me. And, and so I just think this is a bad move for Instagram. It, it, it's so much of like a way to share information and a way to celebrate and a way to meet new people. Just like you said, Kenny, that it, 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 it's a weird feature to remove. And I don't know why, I, I don't know what benefit they get from it. But. And I will add one policy detail that's worth mentioning because at first it starts to feel like an attack on Instagram stories because I agree, Kenny, I pretty much scroll through stories. If it catches my interest, I continue on the platform. There is the the detail that people can share Instagram TV previews. They can share reels into their stories. They just can't share what they call hardline posts into the stories. You can also share tweets. You can share music from Spotify. There's a lot of, of things that people can share into stories. It feels, and I don't want to assume on behalf of Instagram, but it feels that they're just trying to change the nature of how people consume the same content on the platform. To me, that's an algorithm solve that they can work through in their back end if content's not getting traction and not getting response. Don't serve it to the same people twice. I I don't imagine this will continue to roll out, but it is worth mentioning. I feel that they want to continue changing the behavior of how people consume that content. I think we're going to keep our eyes on this one. Um, we'll see what happens. I want to move on and keep talking about things that platforms do because that's what we do here. So Beth, tell us a little bit about Birdwatch. Birdwatch. Okay. So in an attempt to continue to, um, fight misinformation on the platform, Twitter, Twitter is launching Birdwatch. Birdwatch is described as sort of a Wikipedia style um, I guess, content policing almost. That's the wrong word, but that's what I'm going with today, guys. Um, and basically anyone can volunteer to write and um, be a part of Birdwatch. All you need is a valid phone number, an email, and no recent violations of Twitter's rules. And um, it sounds like it'll be on the back end you, if you see a post that is misinformation, you can birdwatch and write in why the post is either incorrect or the right information um, or like edits to the information. And then once there is a substantial amount of 
comments. Um, they, they're calling it a simple majority or but that's not biased based on the distribution of contributors. Um, the comment will pop up at the bottom of the post. So I think it's <laughs> from the data collection side, like I would love to be Twitter and be getting everyone's version of the truth. I think that can lead to some really interesting consumer insights. But we as consumers will, it seems like seeing only one, the most popular version of the truth, which will be interesting to see if that is actually the truth. I'm a little skeptical here. It seems like a little bit of a giant social experiment, but it will help with the speed of identifying information on the platform, which seems like the main driver here. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on this one for too long. I think it makes a ton of sense. We talked in the last episode about what Facebook was doing with a similar thing related to their board. These are we are beginning to see the first step of many in ensuring uh, that these platforms are helping to drive the discourse on these channels correctly and without misinformation um, to sort of curb what we dealt with uh, all throughout 2020 and prior. So not going to dwell on it too long. Beth, thank you for the update on that one. Very interesting stuff. Amanda, I know more on Twitter here. They have really deepened their partnership with NBC Universal, and we'd love to talk about that. Yeah, Twitter's been busy. Um, they just signed a multi-year contract with NBC Universal, which basically is uh, beneficial for both parties. Twitter's going to provide concentrated sales support to NBC partners, local to global, which is pretty interesting. I'm curious to see how that works. But on the flip side, NBC is going to ramp up programming for Twitter around a lot of upcoming live events this year and over the next couple of years, Golden Globes, People's Choice, the Thanksgiving Day Parade, things like that. So obviously this comes after the pandemic changing the way that everybody is experiencing not only these events, but the content. You know, people are using social media now. They're replacing network time with, you know, things like live streaming, uh, reactive social content, any of the kind of live real-time conversation that's happening on platforms specifically like Twitter. So, I mean, the big question, we're still waiting for a lot of details, but the big question is, you know, is there a world in which people can experience content from NBC or other partners on Twitter, have a real-time conversation, and these worlds that have previously been a little bit separate start to merge and become a little bit of this universal experience? I think it makes sense for, for both. Like, Twitter is where people have conversations about these events. NBC is the, you know, channel that airs them. It's about time that they merge, but I'm really curious to see how, how much innovation they kind of put into this partnership and how it nets out. I'll be interested to see. We want to run a lot of programs with brands that have relationships with NBC Universal and tapping into their influencer database and their show database. It's great to see media entities and channels merging together to work to create better content and more access for brands to be able to make great stuff that can reach consumers. Kind of awesome. About time. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think this one could be really cool, too. I'm excited to see what comes out of it. We've reached that point. We are at our last thing. Beth, YouTube, clipping feature. Let's hear it. Cool. So YouTube is launching a new clipping feature. Um, it's, you know, something that has been asked for by the YouTube gaming community and they announced this week due to popular demand that they are launching a new product on YouTube called Clips. And so essentially what this does is you can watch an entire live stream and clip a piece of the live stream that you think is interesting and share that. So in, 
So it's a way, I think, for um, users to identify and kind of be able to share the things that they think are interesting and not have to share necessarily an entire live stream of a gaming experience. And it also lines up pretty squarely with YouTube content, YouTube gaming continuing to compete with Twitch. Amanda, I would love to know your perspective on this as the gaming expert. Um, yeah, this, it's a little bit yeah. of an arms race with uh, the features on these platforms between Twitch and YouTube. Obviously, they're reacting to a way that, you know, users are sharing content. Previously, you would have to basically like at a time in a video to say, check out this scene at X time. Obviously not very, you know, native to the platform. Twitch has already been launching and, and using some features kind of like this. So this isn't surprising. Again, it's almost similar to how we're looking at the different, uh, you know, more traditional social platforms, copying features from each other, seeing what sticks, seeing what needs to happen, listening to the community. So I think, you know, YouTube, is, as much as they're, they're trying to catch up and trying to uh, stay in line with Twitch, it's a little bit of an expected move. Um, but it, it's needed and it will absolutely be used. So I'm curious if this will give them the advantage that they've been trying to get ahead of Twitch. Yeah, I wonder if like YouTube's mainstreamness mixed with Twitch's features yeah. will be the bump they exactly. need. I'm so excited for this. I, I love watching gaming go more mainstream. I think it's so important for our brands to understand this and really understand the, the gaming behavior, not just streaming behavior, but the, the way the community plays and shares with one another and what does that all mean? So really fascinating stuff. Very excited to see this from YouTube. Um, it has come to that time again where we have to bid you all adieu. Um, and that is not a reference to Emily in Paris being nominated for Golden Globes, which still really freaks me out a bit. <laughs> um, but ultimately, we appreciate you joining us. I know Beth appreciates it. Amanda appreciates it. Even Joey appreciates it. And if you have any questions or comments or thoughts whatsoever, you can always reach out to us at podcasts at gray.com. Or if you come across Joey in Clubhouse room and you want to talk about this podcast, please let him know. Uh, we are thrilled that you joined us. We hope you will join us again next week. As always, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.